Welcome back to The Consequences Podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Welcome back to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Sean and I um, had the great pleasure uh, very recently of speaking to Mike McCartney, Paul's younger brother, of course, um, and that came about because of the sound effects tape from uh, Mike McGear, as he, as he then was, uh, Mike McGear's solo album, McGear. And uh, we reached out uh, to Mike and he very kindly spent some time chatting to us on two separate occasions, actually. Uh, so we're going to intersperse his, his chat with us through this episode. For those of you that don't know, as well as being Paul McCartney's brother, Mike uh, is a very creative person with an interesting musical and non-musical CV. He uh, had much commercial success, actually, with his group The Scaffold, um, comprising of himself, John Gorman and Roger McGough, all from Liverpool, and we'll, we'll touch on that part of the career, or, or of his career. Uh, but we'll be talking uh, in the main about the McGear album, which of course was recorded at Strawberry in 1974. But let's go back to uh, the beginning and give a brief thumbnail sketch of of his biography, I suppose. So Mike is about 18 months younger than Paul, born in January 1944. Uh, of course, it would be he would be a very interesting character if he were just Paul McCartney's younger sibling. But as well as that, he's um, he's a very creative character, um, and Mike um, wrote a very good autobiography in 1981 called "Thank You Very Much." And much of the material I've got from this biography has has, has come from that. And in that book, uh, more than once I think he writes, uh, "Well, there was." There wasn't room for more than one show-off in the family, and he's talking about he's talking about Paul. But I, I think Mike would, would would probably admit that uh, he, he, like his brother, he's somebody who likes to be noticed. And I don't think it was just Paul's influence that led him onto a creative career path. He, he showed um, he, he showed the propensity to do that even before Paul and the Beatles got famous. Um, so we'll, we'll look at a little bit about his his early life and 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 what he did. Um, do you, are you familiar with the, the early McCartney years, John? Well, yeah, I a, a little bit, Paul, and I was really grateful for you to send me your usual kind of uh, missive of little biographical details, which is fantastic. But there are a few things that really fascinate me about both Mike's and, and Paul's young years, if you like, one of which was about their, their mother Mary, um, and it would be nice if we could perhaps delve into that a little bit. Um, there's the incident with the tree where Mike um, un- unfortunately loses his, his ability to drum, which I thought was really interesting, especially given what happened with the Quarrymen, the Beatles, etc. after that. Um, and also, Paul, um, the fact that Mike, Paul, George and a couple of other sort of celebrities from Liverpool went to the same school. Um, not the school that, of course, that John and Stu Sutcliffe went to. And I find that sort of thing really, really interesting. It's like 
looking at the pythons you know whether they're oxford or cambridge or looking mm. at, at, at genesis or, or or whoever i find those sort of things really fascinating you know sort of um melting pots and breeding grounds for um for talent Okay, well, let's let's take each of those areas in turn. Um, the McCartneys, it was a very close-knit, uh, happy family. Um, uh, Mother Mary, Father Jim, who worked as a cotton salesman, commuting uh, every couple of days from Liverpool to Manchester, and Paul and Mike, until, uh, tragically, Mary died of breast cancer when Mike was 12 and Paul was 14. Mm. Obviously a, a seismic event in the lives of everybody in the family. Um, but the extended McCartney family was very close and uh, they rallied round and gave Jim as much support as they could. I mean, this was, you know, uncharted territory. Uh, Jim, suddenly a single parent, bringing up two teen or nearly teen boys, fairly challenging by by their own admission in their behaviour. Um, now, much later, of course, Paul wrote songs which refer either directly or perhaps indirectly to his mother, and they're some mm. of the best-known Beatles songs and therefore some of the best-known songs of all time. Let it be directly related to... Uh, a dream experience Paul had hmm. um, where his mother came to him in the dream. Uh, yesterday, uh, although perhaps unconsciously about his mother, uh, Paul has kind of talked that that probably was the un unconscious inspiration for that song. And there are others like The Long and Winding Road and I Love Her, perhaps. I mean, one can read too much into this, but hmm. it, it certainly uh, was part of his inspiration for his songwriting and and similarly mike uh, although generally writing comedy songs or novelty songs with a scaffold early on suddenly comes out with this very beautiful and poignant song called woman the title track of his album from 1971 beautiful track one, one of my favorite pieces of music by mike actually Wonderful yes. record, and and of course recorded at Strawberry. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it really is a, a, a you know a companion piece to Paul's better known songs. I think you could you know it's not stretching it to say that it that it can be compared to them in in some respects. Written co-written by Roger McGough, who who wrote a lot of the uh, the songs uh, on that on that album. So that that's interesting. Uh, you talked about the interconnectivity of of, mm. of of the live. I mean, we regard, you know, Liverpool, and it's almost well, it has attained a mythic status. But this was actually a relatively small cohort of people going to school, going to college, going out in clubs and playing in bands and doing, uh, you know, activities in art. You know, on a relatively small geographical area mm. so you've got things like um you've got mike 
training it, uh, well, working as an apprentice hairdresser. Shades of the Ruttles there, because you remember <laughs> Ringo wanted to own a, a chain of hairdressers. Yeah. Uh, or, sorry, not R- Ringo, Barry Warm, I should say. Yeah. Um, so Mike, Mike was an apprentice hairdresser at Andre Bernard's, I think it was called, and Jimmy Tarbuck had just left when he started, and, and Lewis Collins, remember him from the professionals? Booty, Booty yeah. and Doyle, yeah. Exactly, he worked alongside him. I mean, pa- perhaps more significant, yeah, uh, most of the uh, central characters in the Beatles story went either to the Liverpool Institute, the massive secondary school right. in, in Liverpool. Sorry uh, sorry to interrupt you, Paul, but we have a Mike McCartney on the line. Ev- even better then. We'll get back to that later. Yeah. It's Mike's wife. Hello. <laughs> Rowena. Yeah, that's right. Hiya. Really uh, nice to meet you. I'm, I'm his technical advisor. <laughs> uh, glad to hear it. Thank you very much. Oh, hello and goodbye, as they say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's the boss. Hello, Mike. Ah. My wife has um, a great sense of humour. She learned it all from me, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for, ever so much for, for coming back for a second helping, Mike. And sorry that we couldn't we couldn't get things sorted last time. Wait till you get the bill. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, how do, how do you feel about carrying on our chat on the phone, exactly as we are? Because perfect, much better. Brilliant. Okay. All right, Paul. Uh, Paul, you're, uh, Paul, you're you're recording yourself, are you? I am, Sean. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm <coughs> going to do, I'm li- literally going to uh, disconnect the oxygen supply uh, <laughs> and plug it in somewhere where I shouldn't. Okay. So as as long as you're happy, uh, Mike, to go. Oh yeah, let's go. Let's go. Shall we? Shall let's we do go. it? An interesting thing you're holding in your hand there, Mike. We were literally just talking about that beautiful record. Um, and we'd be really interested to hear what you remember about uh, recording it at Strawberry and, and the inspiration, particularly for the song Woman, which we think is such a beautiful record. My son has a... <laughs> takes the mickey... Sonny, little bugger, takes the mickey out of his daddy. <laughs> always has, always will. It's quite a character, that one. And so you just be <laughs> and suddenly you go, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, still. But <laughs> that is that one was fascinating. All it was for me it was a very mournful thing. McCoff did uh, some words, <clears throat> so I uh, thought, hold on, that seems to fit a bit. It seems to fit my mum. Soulful. Um, plaintive it's just a sad song and seeing as it was a sad occasion when my mum left me at the age of 12 it seemed to fit um, her and then I had this extraordinary coincidences and as the Indian gurus say there's no such thing as coincidences I'm doing the uh, what's his name that DJ in London Danny Baker. Yes. Oh, yeah. Doing him in London on the radio. Oh, um, brilliant. And doing his show. And to, to talk about the McGear album. Hmm. I did the whole spiel, re-release, etc. on all these wonderful things, cherry red, esoteric, and all these uh, additions you get. Uh, a record, a, a vinyl, you get a CD, you get a DVD of me talking about it, you get all outtakes, you get all these bloody things, you get a booklet, 
a poster, unbelievable. Oh, believable. <laughs> plugging it, you know, doing the old plug business. And uh, the, the McGear album. And then uh, at the end, we've done the whole program. Just before he goes, he says, uh, no, I didn't know it was on Zoom. My wife saw it uh, in London, where she was, uh, uh, and so I didn't know. All I know is he's sitting opposite me. <laughs> so uh, blah, 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 McGee, 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 McGee. And suddenly he says, I've got to tell you, Michael, I've got to be very honest with you. Did, did you notice then my amazing... Did you notice the amazing similarity to Danny Jacob walking oh. in? Yeah, it was like he was in the room. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it? Yes. So I've got to tell you, Mark, you know, it's a uh, lovely album. I've got to admit that my favourite is Warren. Hey. <laughs> and he brings it up like that on the telly, exactly what I'm doing. So I looked at it. And said, oh, uh, that's why I chose that for the cover. Uh, just lovely to see my mum again. He says, I beg your pardon? I said, D -d -d it's good to see, lovely to see my mum again. Mm -hmm. That's your mother? Are you joking? Oh, I thought that was a nun. I said, no, she doesn't look like a nun. But that would be a nursing uh, habitat that, you know, what nurses won war as well in Liverpool when she was a nurse midwife etc of course I, I never knew that he says and so the next one of extraordinariness Peter Kay contacted me and said, don't forget to look at this new series I'm doing. It's da I am playing Danny Baker's father. So Danny Baker had a, I can't remember what the telly program, a series of his life as mm -hmm. a kid. He's written a book or something. That's it. Made a telly. Yeah, yeah, from Cradle to the Grave, I think it was. Resting Sactamundo. That's yeah. exactly what it was called. Did a film of it. And Pete, Peter Kay was his dad doing a, a, a dreadful auction like what I just done. <laughs> <laughs> Two days, uh, Monday, yeah. Today's Monday, today's Monday. Monday is washing day, is everybody happy? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so Pete says, you've got to look uh, at the last episode where the mum, I don't know if you ever saw it, but his parents had... A few problems. His dad, Peter Kay, was quite a jacked head and lovely boy. And uh, but his mom was like getting a bit fed up with all this, it's, you know, like a scouse kitten. <laughs> and uh, but in full of trouble. And she was thinking, mm, she was thinking, I don't know whether you know, to stay and married for a million years, etc. And so the last scene. And Pete said, uh, don't, you know, it's going to be on. Watch it, but have your hanky ready. Mm. Uh, I said, why? Well, you'll see. Because in the, on the telly was his mum comes into this wedding and she's doing the, the placings of the mats and she wonders whether to move away from the dad, whatever. And they're playing woman, right? Wow. And just as mood music, etc. 
And it was there. Now, I've been told this. My wife and I are sitting on the city and uh, this telly comes on. Oh, bloody, there's a woman. It started that. And bloody crying. We were crying. Oh, we were, Pete, Pete Kay said, warn you, have your Anki. Hello, hello, Keith. Yeah. How's your wedding day going? Great. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad it was uh, widely seen. It's it's a, it's a great song, and it comes it comes as a bit of a shock after hearing, you know, being used to hearing "Thank You Very Much" and "Lily the Pink" and all the comedy records. You suddenly get this tender shock, and there's this beautiful song. You know, the opening track on the album. Yeah, well, it was a brave thing for me because I never really sung that sort of solo. Uh, mm. Like on the McGear album as well, when you're singing Casket and things like that, it, it, you're not hiding, you're just very naked mm. and you're singing it and it's just you and your voice. And that was why on, <laughs> on telly, when uh, I went over to Ireland once and the Ireland, uh, the Gay Burn show, yeah, oh yeah, Dublin, mm. and they said, uh, Mike, would you would you like to come over and would you like to sing Liverpool Lou from the McGear album for us? Oh, oh Liverpool Lou, lovely Liverpool Lou, why don't you behave just like other girls do? Why must my I said, oh, okay, but that's going to need a band. They, they actually, uh, Mersey Beats backed me in Northern Ireland on telly for singing Little the Pink, so I can ask them again. But obviously, you've got to pay for the Mersey Beats coming over, hotel, house them, pay them, etc. They said, oh, uh, forget that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll take a miss on that, don't worry. And so that was that. So I get to uh, Ireland, do the telly. With George, April Ashley, Liverpool lad called George, became April Ashley, did, did it with her. And it came to my bit, and I, I get on, and they said, uh, Gay Byrne had a little chat, whatever was playing. And Gay at the end said, oh, and Mike, I, I believe you're going to sing uh, Liverpool Lou, that wonderful track from the Megira. I said, well, no, I told your researchers, the producer, that... Uh, I haven't got a band. He said, oh, no, don't worry, we've got a band for you. <laughs> so I'm looking, looking around the stage. There's an audience in front of me. There's no band here. And so I said, OK. Yes, there's the band on the front row. And there was Paddy, <coughs> Paddy Maloney from the Chieftains, right? Mm -hmm. And Gareth Brown, who was Tara Brown's brother, in charge of Clara Records, sitting on the front row. And suddenly Paddy Maloney gets up and says, it's all right, Mike, I'll be your band. <laughs> so I said, <laughs> what? He says, I have, and he produces from his inside pocket, a penny whistle. Oh, I have the band, I have the flute here, I can give it that. I'll, I'll play that for you, you sing the song. And it's that thing that we've just been saying, to do the woman uh, track, to do uh, casket, to do things just yourself, and I just, I'd love, I really would love to see that. 
to see if it was good as I remember it because I was young I had a voice then mm. which is gone now and I just went for it I just sang Liverpool Lou live in front of the audience and the whole of Ireland uh, with Patty Malone, Maloney playing the little uh, penny <laughs> whistle which he bends the note oh Liverpool ooh. oh it's beautiful isn't it yeah, yeah oh, brilliant absolute genius and so I loved it but that's it like on the woman thing you're naked you're bare you, you have to deliver the goods and so if you're saying I did then thank you very much mm, you, you, very you, much so. you certainly did oh Liverpool lovely Liverpool why don't you behave just like other girls do We'd done this thing, so where to go? Abbey Road, etc. Now, too expensive, and I won't feel at home there. I said, "What about?" I had record. I've done recording with Scaffold in recording studio in Stockport called Strawberry Studio. So our kids said, "Oh, 10CC Studio." I said, "Yeah, that's it." Now it is, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. And he said, oh, that, that could be good. I, Lynn and I can come up, bring Denny and Aang with us. Uh, we'll go to our house up there, because when we moved from Forstin Road, we moved over to the Wirral, and our first house, me and my dad, uh, there, and then I moved out, got married, had three girls, and then three boys. Uh, but uh, we kept the house uh, on the Wirral, and so uh, our kids said, I'll go to the Wirral house, and we'll go from there every day. You go in your car, I'll go in mine, or we'll go in your car, all of us go in your Elvis, and then I'll go in my roller, had an old Rolls Royce. And so that was it. Then we decided that's what we'd do. And so that's exactly what we did. We went to um, Strawberry Studios and recorded the, not only the McGear album, we recorded uh, Liverpool Lou, Scaffold's Liverpool Lou there as well. That's right. And, and that was all part of the same sessions, wasn't it, Mike? It was the same era, yeah. Because in the middle of the McGear album, the BBC said uh, would Scaffold do a tele-programme with Derek Kyler mm. and Rita Tushingham Derek Kyler was an old uh, Liverpool actor and Rita Tushingham, Rita Tushingham was a Liverpool actress and so Scaffold, there's, there's a Liverpool show, uh, can Scaffold do this tele-show but we've heard uh, thank you very much. Do you remember? Uh, not Liverpool, do you? Uh, we've heard all those things. And Lily the Pink. Uh, can they do a, another song? And so I said to our kid, right, BBC Telly want to do a thing with Scaffold, but they don't want Thank You, Do You Remember, Lily, etc. That's for a new one, mm. a new song. Got any ideas? So Paul said, I've always thought uh, Liverpool Lou would be great for scaffolds. And I said, ah, oh, no, no, that's too folky. Mm. It's, you know, that's the spinners. No, no, it's not, you know, that, that hasn't got it. He said, no, no, there'll be a way of doing it. I, I've got a, I think I've got a way of doing it. 
So, uh, you know, get them to send you uh, Liverpool Loom. And so I said to BBC Telly, have you got a, a version? I'm expecting them to say, yeah, it's the spinners thing. And so they sent me a tape, still going. Uh, two versions of Liverpool Loom. One by the man who said he wrote it. Brendan Behan was an Irish writer, a Boston boy, things like that. Mm. Uh, and he had a brother, like uh, my brother had a brother. And his brother was called Dominic Behan, a folk singer, uh, who said that he wrote, because we tried to put it out as a trad arranged uh, scaffold. And so the next thing is Dominic said, excuse me, a scout, hello there, sorry lads, I wrote that. And of course, we've been singing uh, Liverpool Lou, it's been going around Liverpool for centuries, mm-hmm. up to the year. But he copped for it, but uh, Dominic wow. Beam uh, got the, the, the money, he, you know, he got the writing credits on it. So uh, there was a version by Dominic Beam. And you're not going to believe this, a version by Delaney and Bonnie. Right. Singing Liverpool. Oh, Liverpool. Liverpool. And all of being very, was all American. Delaney and Bonnie singing Liverpool. So I couldn't believe it. So then I suddenly thought, hold on, this is what our kids get now. You know, with the folks singing and then a rocking thing. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he did. He went between them and got this magic version of Liverpool that that uh, got into the charts. Absolute top ten, wasn't it? Not only at Strawberry, but uh, what was the Gizmo? Yes. Ten uh, uh, CC's Gizmo was on Liverpool. Mm. I um I was listening this morning, Mike, to All the Whales in the Ocean, which I think is a beautiful song. Uh, that came out uh, some years after uh, Liverpool, Lou and McGeer. I hear a, a gizmo on that one as well. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who who played who played to, gizmo? Is that Lowell's, whose instrument was it? Yes, it may well have been Lowell's Lowell's gizmo. Instrument. Do you know who played it on that record? Uh, I, I think I thought it was Lowell. Okay. Sea Breezes. Now, how, how come you ended up singing that? Was that a song that you brought in and wanted to do, or did Paul select that for you? Yeah, nothing to do with me. <clears throat> like he, our kid, had this idea of Liverpool Lou uh, for Scaffold, uh, because, but, because that was the same thing for um, that Sea Breezes. He said, I've, got the, I've always loved the, the Roxy musics, the uh, song called Sea Breezes, mm. 
So here is, a, I think we should put on the album, Cause just because he liked it. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's got a knack of picking great songs. I mean, as an A and R guy, I mean that you know goes without saying. But has has that got uh, Brian Jones doing that terrific sax at the end? Is that the guy from The Undertakers? Do you remember Brian Jones? He was on. Have you got problems? If you listen to the McGear album and yeah. listen to the end, have you got problems? What are your problems? your problems? That's a great. That is a re- fascinating words on that. Yeah. Uh, have you got problems? Give, give us all your problems or go away. Just like all these governments, these people, uh, you know, Trump's all these people. Whatever, let's let's make America great. Let's make Mike and Paul and everyone great. Uh, oh, absolute bullshit. And, mm-hmm. But it's that's the way you do it. And that song, Have You Got Problems, is the words on that were so today. It's ridiculous. Mm. But Brian, Undertaker's Jones, I uh, wanted a good sax player and a rocker, an old rocker. Mm. And I said, what about Bri, Bri Jones, if he's here? And so he rang, yeah, I'm coming. So he he, he does the thing. If you listen, and he does that amazing uh, sax solo at the end of uh, Have You Got Problems, fades out the first half of the album. And... um, but you listen, all you do is get to the very end and then the fa- it's fading, 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 right into the distance. Now turn the record over. Don't. Uh, turn it up at the end. Right at the end of the fade, you will hear suddenly it gets to the very end, very end, and suddenly you hear... <laughs> it's our kid and Linda clapping. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Fantastic. So was it was it was it Brian who played the? Can you remember the, the end of Sea Breezes, or was that part of the orchestra overdub? Because that's a fantastic moment. I don't know who plays it, but I've always loved that little lick at the end of that song. Yeah, that little, I know what you're talking about, but uh, can't remember who did it. <clears throat> might have been Brian. Might have been Brian. He's good. Sure. Sure. Obviously, we've had a recent experience with a marvellous tape that we found sort of buried in the, in the sort of strawberry wilderness, a tape of your brother and some very special sound effects that he recorded for your McGear album. But first of all, we'd, we'd love to just to really to find out where Strawberry Studios came into your story, Mike. Um, 
I think it was with some work you did with Scaffold, wasn't it, for the decimalisation? Whatever it was, I remember my first memories of Strawberry Recording Studios. I think it was even before I'd met Pete Tattersall. But the first memories of, <laughs> I'm going to require a table. I'm just getting ready to uh, do the table sounds for you. Yes, I've got this. Huh? Mm. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, it'd be better that one. Yeah, it'd be better that one. Uh, <laughs> were, uh, I'll, I'll get I'll get them both ready for the sounds. Uh, oh, I'm just going to practice. Okay, hold on. Okay, that one. I'm going for my diary. Uh, first, uh, the first uh, sounds I ever ha- heard from Strawberry Studios Stockport were walking in, and this uh, happened, right? Non-stop, right? <laughs> and then I had these weird noises. I'm a Neanderthal man came through this thud non-stop there must have been record because as you well know uh, that lot loved re- over recording hmm. over and over love over and over recording yes so that was the first uh, hint of where they were going to go. So was Neanderthal Man one of their first records, 10cc's first records? Well, it was kind of three quarters of 10cc. It's before Graham came back from the States. Um, oh, was it? Yeah, so 1970, and Eric, Kevin and Lol were doing these experiments because I think uh, Pete Tattersall, yeah. he, Pete Tattersall just had some new kit arrive, and I think they were yeah. testing it out. So, so you walked in on a Neanderthal man session. Is that what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. And that's <laughs> all I remember: walking in the door and hearing that thud, 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 and then the voices. I'm a Neanderthal man. So it must have been with Scaffold, and that was four years before the McGear album. Yes, yes. So, uh, and this was before this was before you'd actually decided to record at Strawberry, was it? Well, it's probably because of the work and because of the sounds that I heard uh, that I said to our kid, what happened on the McGear album was it started off by our kid ringing and saying, uh, what are you up to? And I said, "Uh, not a lot, I've just left Scaffold uh, and Grimm's and uh, because there's too many poets, too many uh, people. And so I am here uh, in my house on the Wirral overlooking Wales doing bugger all. Hmm. So he said, uh, oh, okay. Uh, so why don't, you know, why don't we do something together? I said, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, if you insist. And so come down and we'll see what we can we'll try and do a, a song, do it try and do a single. I said, Yep, yes, great, that'll do me. 
make me a pop star like Brian Epstein tried to, mm-hmm. and I turned him down for scaffold. And so, right, this could be my time. I, I, I'll have a single. That was it. So I went down to his house in London, and we started uh, him, Lynn, and me in the lounge, just trying out ideas. And this song. Uh, slowly materialized from a guitar and singing uh, called Leave It. Mm. And so it got better and better. And the next thing is, uh, okay, this is good now. It's good enough to go into Abbey Road and uh, make a record. And I said, uh, great. (laughs) Not The The only little problem about that was... That day uh, that I was to record the lead vocal on Leave It, I'd been playing a charity football match, Oz versus the Pythons. So it was Monty Python versus Grimm's, I think it was. And so, uh, you know, I still don't know because they're old mates, Duke Money, Andy Roberts, uh, Neil Innes, all that lot. Oh, friends so right it's us versus the python versus the python and may i say the pythons had been uh rehearsing swatting up training what for a, for a football match because they were very good far better than us there it is socrates socrates heads in and Leibniz doesn't have a chance and just look at those delighted trees there they are chopper socrates Empedocles of Acragas, what a game he had. And Epicurus is there, and Socrates, the captain who scored what was probably the most important goal of his career. Uh, they were beating us so soundly <laughs> in this place in London that I thought, this is ridiculous, you know, this is like 8 nil or something. This is ludicrous. Uh, they're so good, they've been training so hard, they're whipping us. I thought, this must stop henceforth first ploy was was a little baby little boy just about walking and the ball came my way so i got the ball went over to this little boy and said and we were up my our end our goals end and i said uh young man here's a football do you want to kick the football yes yes but see down there see that goal down there if you uh, you know, take this football, keep kicking the football till you get to that goal down there and then kick it in the goal. <laughs> and he, yes, yes, I can do that. He set off down the middle of the pitch and of course the Pythons are not going to uh, tackle a three or four year old child. <laughs> so they dived out the way. And all oh, brilliant. This, they knew it was coming. The kid goes down, lobs it in, the whole crowd, uproar. Yeah, the little boy's face was <laughs> magic. <laughs> Great. If, if ever somebody did research and found out that kid, it does he remember that thing. Oh, wonderful. Because, yeah, absolutely. So that wasn't good enough. That got us, you know, 12, 13, 12T. Uh, one then and so I thought we've got it uh, <laughs> and again you see we, we were comedians the scaffold grims python we were yeah uh, jolly what we fun started. that's fun so this is what you're doing what kind of in between writing sessions with Paul and Linda no no this was what I'd done is I'd left grims I just did that charity match with pythons because of a charity 
And so I went back with them just that day. But it was the day of the recording. Hmm. So uh, the next ploy <laughs> was I actually drove my old Alvis onto the, the footy pitch. Right. And, and, and uh, I said, when I drive onto the pitch, I lob the ball in, I lob the windows, lob the ball into the window. And I drove down the whole pitch, churning this bloody... Uh, muddy pitch up, went down into the goal and threw it out and got another goal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was 12 T2 then. But that day, Brilliant. Uh, you know, uh, we'd been uh, the other time when I wasn't playing those silly games. I was actually on the pitch trying to beat these far superior Pythons. Uh, so I came to that, done the footy match, etc., back into London, into Abbey Road. And I then had to sing Leave It, the lead vocal. And I was buggered. <laughs> And so I thought, uh, oh, God, and I kept singing and kept singing. And our kid was up in the control room. There, too, number two with the stairs, that one. Hmm. Uh, there, were three, there were three studios in uh, Abbey Road. Number one was the big one, the All You Need Is Love studio. Yes. A uh, great big one, where we recorded Lily the Pink. Uh, with Jack Bruce on bass. Mm. Uh, two was the standard one you see on all the Beatles films with the stirs coming down. Yes. And then three, I call it the Pink Floyd studio because mm. they were never out of it. As you went into Abbey Road, the studio was on the left. That was number three. And so uh, we were in two and I was singing. I was fucking... And I sort of do a bit of singing and then walk up the steps, the stirs, to the control room and listen. And my God, my, my feet on the uh, stairs. Well, it was like, you know, a deep sea diver. You, you know them with the big bubble on, on yeah. the thing and they're fed with hoses to keep put air in and they go down the bottom of the ocean. Those great bit like space men's suits. Mm. So when they come out of the ocean with the deep sea divers things, those bloody big boots to keep them on the sea bed yes. you know how big they are yeah. and they're lead packed yeah. down with lead so it felt like that as i was walking up the steps and so i had deep sea diving boots on it was that sort of it was that buggered you know <laughs> so got up and listened and said to right do it again fine okay <clears throat> so and here's a, a valuable lesson for all for all young people, singers, uh, is a little bit of uh, elderly brother advice here. And so I'm singing whatever it is of your artichoke. Leave it, leave it, leave it. And I suddenly thought, oh God, that's, that's dreadful. And stopped. And so and the microphone came through from above. <laughs> and what, what's up? Why have you stopped? I said, well, because that was crap. It was dreadful. <laughs> and, he, and my brother said, I will tell you when it's dreadful. Mm. Keep, keep singing. Because <laughs> all he was looking for, because in the control room, he's in control. Yes. He just needed certain lines. 
and say, hey, right, he did that well, he did that well. I'll get this line, keep going, keep going, till he got the line. Mm. And there, that, that is uh, for any, all young people listen to this and thinking, oh, God, uh, that's dreadful. Okay, don't stop if you've got a good producer <laughs> yeah. and keep doing do what they tell you. They're calling the shots. Uh, and so that was it. And so and, uh, in the end, uh, I got up there and he started doing his magic. And at first, when I was listening to it, I thought, this vocalist is crappy, just... I just didn't like it. I, oh. I, I was tired, you know. Yeah. Uh, but and so very critical, and I just didn't like it. And then he kept doing little, you know, double tracking uh, again. One of the reasons I do it again because he'd been double tracking me, uh, and then blending it in with the music blending in Tony Cole on sax coming in etc uh, and then suddenly this thing started to have legs and then that oh and then oh I started to get excited <laughs> and in the end the three of us were dancing around number two control room because uh, it was lovely it was a really great track she didn't Uh, and so that was it. So our kids sent it to America, to uh, NPR in America, were Lee Eastman, John Eastman's dad, yeah. and Linda Eastman's dad. Uh, heard it with John Eastman, his son, Linda's brother. And the next thing, this uh, call, our kid had a call from America, what are you doing? This is fantastic. Mm. Are you just going to stop here? Well, you know, you wanted you kids to do an album. And so our kid rang and said, I've just had America on, and they've just got hate They love it. Uh, and they're saying, suggesting, should we do an album? So I said, uh, well, I'm not doing anything. All right, if you insist. <laughs> <laughs> he said, okay, I've got that period in time. Uh, right now, the big thing is where to to do it. And so we hummed and hard in Abbey Road. Well, you know, I thought, well, that's a very pressure on, on me and costly, the Abbey Road. <laughs> I was once in Abbey Road. Oh, oh this is magic. Oh, you, again, all the young, all the young musos. And Tensi Seager loves this as well. <laughs> in in uh, number two. Uh, recording studio they had revamped it all and so the old when when you went into abbey road you walk down the corridor and down if you went down the stairs you go down to the canteen and number one studio down there but if you kept on going the first door on the right was the control room of number two studios. Mm. The 10CC, I'm sure would remember this. And so uh, EMI are doing uh, re resurfacing <laughs> and so reconstructing. And so they changed the studio round, uh, still had access to the stairs, etc. But they did it the other way. And they'd installed a digital clock on the on the wall right and and so uh, i went to record i don't know years later this was uh, and uh, i'm looking at uh, listening to the stuff i've been doing but this time i'm paying 
So this mm, Abbey mm. Road, very expensive. Yeah. And then suddenly I saw on the wall, listening to my magic and trying to get the magic and trying to get a number one mm. hit, and I suddenly see this bloody clock, this digital clock, going one, two, three, one pound, two pound, three pound, four pound. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh God, that's a, this I can see my money disappearing <laughs> as I'm looking at the clock. And so I pointed this out to the engineer. I said, do you, you realise people are going to come in there and look at the time? First of all, they're going to look at the watch and go to the pub. And then secondly, if they've got no money, they're looking at all the money disappearing on the old clock, etc. No, no, the great best bit was the next time I went to the same studio, the clock had gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too right. And, uh, and sure. of course, I, I imagine Lily the Pink managed to pay a few bills there, didn't it, Mike? Oh, at first, yes. Oh, no, Lily, Lily thank, you, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> the Prime Minister and the Queen Mum's favourite record. Yes. And then do, 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 you know, so into Twiggy yesterday. She did a podcast with her yesterday. I was talking to her about do, do, do you remember? Because she used to like this bit in the middle of do you remember where John scaffold tis was gorman hmm. it does a does a soft shoe shuffle and the idea of someone in the middle of it you just go there's a bloke dancing on a record hmm. <laughs> you're listening to on the radio it was insane and twiggy uh, like that bit <laughs> and so uh, and then the big lily the pink <laughs> three ways but uh, thank you very much I, uh, I, I made more and particularly when Capri's Roses used it for thank you very much for Capri's Roses that's right that's uh, right then that was thank you very much for a kitchen and thank you very much for a new car <laughs> <laughs> thank you very okay. much <laughs> thank you very much for being my best friend thank you very much thank, thank you very very much. very much thank you very much for being my sister <laughs> Thank you very, 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 very much. Thank you very much. But you know what? Thank you very much. Thank you very, very, very much. Thank you very, 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 very much. Cadbury's Roses, everyone's favourite way to say thank you. What were your your memories and thoughts of that that strange and wonderful tape I sent you a few days ago, Mike? The your brother's sound effects tape. Piccadilly Radio Manchester, Piccadilly Radio. 
at this new thing like Radio City, mm. in these commercial stadiums, like Radio Caroline, out on the ocean, used to listen to, yeah. because that was the only decent music with these pirates out, out on the ocean. Uh, and then the BBC uh, thought, well, we've got to monopolize, we've got to cash in on this. All the kids aren't listening to BBC. Yeah. And so we'll do these stations with uh, independent stations. It was the first commercial station in Manchester. Yeah, oh, okay. So, uh, not to do with BBC. So they were starting off the first commercial uh, station and they needed a jingle for it mm. and they heard that we were out in uh, Stockport not far from Manchester at all as indeed <laughs> there's a nice little story for you mm. as indeed some other people had heard about us being out me and my brother <laughs> being out in uh, Strawberry Studio Stockport when I came in one day uh, into the recording studio, and there's Pete uh, with these two people on the in the control room, sitting on the settee. And I said, Pete, can I have a word with you? Yes, Michael. So he came out. I said, well, What are those two people sitting there for? They seem to be the carpenters. <laughs> that beautiful voice lady and oh, wonderful. Uh, brother. Which is sitting on the couch, and they'd heard we were recording out there, and they came out to Strawberry just to uh, listen to what we were doing. Wonderful. <laughs> the carpenters, Bob and the carpenters, <laughs> love that woman. <laughs> uh, was Radio Piccadilly had heard and said, "Will you do us a little jingle?" And so, uh, being uh, nice people, we said we shall set aside our time uh, from this McGear album and do them a flavour, and so uh, uh, we recorded that, well, mainly our kid and Lynn, uh, in Strawberry Studios 4, Piccadilly Radio. <laughs> Hello, Piccadilly. This is Paul. And Linda. In fact, it's Paul and Linda wishing you all the best. Hello. Hello, Piccadilly. Hello, Albert Square. Hello, Piccadilly. Keep doing it on the air. It's a lovely little ditty, that, you know. It's smashing, isn't it? It really is. A charming little, lovely little. I can't believe that they still don't use it. Maybe I know, maybe they will. they will. Maybe they will. I mean, uh, when I was up in Manchester, um, I, I, I knew it as Piccadilly 103. Um, but that's right, yeah. Paul's saying it doesn't exist anymore. That's really sad news. What, what? Ah, there you go. Yeah. That's all bad, then. Sure. Mike, what did you make of, of those weird and wonderful sound effects that uh, well, that you and your brother had, had recorded? When we were all together, uh, he would uh, often, uh, particularly when we've been drinking, a nice <laughs> uh, glass of uh, uh, Merlot or Chateauneuf de Pape or mm. 
bone or whatever. Uh, our kid likes his wine and has lovely, beautiful, smooth uh, red wine. And so we finish uh, the drinking and he would just uh, get a couple of glasses and do one. And get, in fact, you either wet it with your, uh, the wine or you, you know, get spit up your mouth mm. and do it round the rim of the glass. Yes. And so you get this, then you get the next glass uh, with a bit more wine in it and then go, and then another glass, more wine, in the and you put them all together and you have these, uh, you can have harmonies, you can tune them yeah. till you get a harmony, just like tuning a guitar. And so uh, that's what we did on the casket, Yes. on the Magear album. Lovely tune. He just got all these glasses and tuned them all into this choir of angels, this uh, orchestra of uh, glasses. Mm. And that is that magic sound on the casket. It's an unworldly beautiful sound, isn't it? Attracted by glittering, a hundred crowned approaches, a casket gaudy and frail of necklaces and roaches. Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it really, really is. And um, Pete Tattersall uh, has been in touch with us via Facebook and he said, yes, it was three glasses with different levels of water in. And then what he did was mix down Paul's sort of separate performances of each of these glasses, mix them together uh, on the multi-track, and then he would have bounced them onto another tape. And then it sounds to me, Mike, like either Pete's or or Paul or you are turning the speed knob on the tape recorder to get the, the the pitch to go down when the chords change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what we did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, the whole thing about that place was it was real family. It was real camaraderie. It was real. Brilliant. Whoever's passing comes in and uh, as a go, <laughs> and uh, and so it was. Well, you just had your job to do. For instance, right now, then <laughs> for giving there's a track on the Megirab called Giving Greece a Ride. Yeah, great track. And uh, so now then we, we need a, a sound of a, a car crashing and I'm not uh, uh, taking my Elvis out <laughs> on the road and crashing it. I like it too much. Uh, so, you know, BBC sound effects, whoever, whatever sound effects are available. Uh, and so we found a car crash. So, okay, now we need... Uh, uh, you know, acceleration. Yes. So when you're driving along in an automobile giving grease the right, etc. And so they had them, but they weren't in sync. They they were going, but I wanted it to go to the track, uh, giving grease the right. It would be on a wheel with an automobile giving boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Etc. In sync with the music. And so uh, the stuff we had was. I said, well, why don't we. Re- I've got the Alvis outside. Why don't we record that? Uh, and so 
the bottom line on giving Greece a ride just before uh, he, the, uh, the car leaves the road and crashes yes. there is the bit where Pete Tattersall got the microphone uh, and there's only one way of taking it out it was through the bog window <laughs> in Strawberry Studio <laughs> and I parked my car outside the toilet window and he opened, we opened the bonnet he then put the microphone over my engine I sat in the car with my headphones on and they sent the track to me and so be hand with my own of me giving grease and etc wonderful uh, all in perfect sync with the the track superb and Pete Pete remembers that story and and and, and tells it with uh, yeah with a smile on his face Is he still something to do with Granada Tours? Uh, I'm not sure. I think he's, he's retired. He's, he's retired. Send him our love. Oh, we will definitely. Uh, and he's he's loved uh, hearing the you know the contents of this tape as as we all did, yeah. Mike. It was so so magical. And and of course, Paul and I absolutely love um, the man who found God on the moon. It's a wonderful track. That did did, did you did you favorites. yes did you and Paul sit down and, and sort of conceive all the sound effects in advance? When we were listening back to that amazing sound effects tape that we sent to you, uh, oh, yeah. were, the, were the recordings of the, the moon landing in, in 1969, and, and Paul told me something that I hadn't realised before about, was it Apollo 15, Paul, where one, one of the crew had had a very religious experience... Yeah, it was Jim Irvin, the, who he actually became a minister after. And I wonder whether you actually wrote that based on that specific experience that you read about this guy had, or was it just a... No, it wasn't him. It was Buzz, ah. Aldrin. It was Buzz Aldrin. Ah. It was about Buzz Aldrin. Okay. I, I read that Buzz Aldrin uh, got up there, and if you think about it, just imagine. Yeah, the yeah. Idea of being up there. Up there, right? Mm. That sky. All of everyone, look out from it. Forget the podcast. All look out the window now, and look <laughs> up. I just saw a bloody big bird flap <laughs> the brain. <laughs> I've just seen a dog, actually. But yeah, po- point taken. Point taken. But you go up there and you see the clouds, and luckily there's a bit of blue sky here. And you go up and beyond and go higher and higher. And then sometimes when you're out at night, the moon's been nice recently and pretty full. And then you suddenly see uh, something called the moon. And it's looking down. I once had that experience of not like Buzz Aldrin. I once had the experience of enormity in Scotland with scaffold. We've been to the uh, we're doing the Edinburgh Festival, and we've been up to the Highlands, the beautiful mountains of the Highlands, 
motoring back. I was driving, motoring back to Edinburgh to get on with the scaffold show, whatever it was called. Came round the corner, and there is the biggest bloody mountain you've ever seen. Ginormous. Woo! And so I said, okay, lads, I've got to, I'm going to have a break. Just going to have a bit of fresh air <clears throat> because this thing was too big to ignore. Hmm. So I got out of the car and they stayed in the car. And it was a bit of drizzle, to tell you the truth. It was raining a bit. Right? Light rain. Peter Kay will tell you all about light rain. Soaked. <laughs> yes. And uh, so I'm just standing there looking up at this enormous mountain. I think it was even snow on the thing. It was that big. And suddenly... Looking up, I suddenly became the mountain. Mm. I was suddenly at the top of the mountain now, looking down at all the surrounding area here, and there's forests and other valleys, whatever. And what car? What, Mike? What car? I was so big, I didn't even see me down there looking up at it mm. and it was that experience you know becoming a mountain and suddenly see you look down and what are you you're nothing mm. you can't the mountain can't even see you and uh, same thing was Buzz Aldrin up on the moon he suddenly looked down <laughs> the earth can you imagine being mm. up there and then looking down there there's this tiny, like the, we look up at the tiny moon. Mm. He's looking down at the tiny earth. Woo! And that is when he said that he found God on the moon. Don't think he became a minister. I think he, he did religious uh, meetings after that. But it was that story of Buzz Aldrin that uh, found God on the moon. That uh, And I'd seen it here on my, when we had a black and white telly, in just over there in that corner. You're looking at the corner. <laughs> it's that, that corner. Unofficial time on the first step, 'Cause I actually saw the moon landings. It was you had to go into and in fact some of the tape recordings that you sent me would have been from the original actual moon landings of me with my old Grundig tape re- or family Grundig tape. Ah, I'm very right. Wrong. So you taped it from the telly, that's what you used. From the telly. Oh wow. It was on wow. that very slow one. Not the yeah. seven and a half, not the three and three quarters. Is it one and seven? One and seven eighths, That's yeah. There right. was the, you could do three settings, couldn't you? And yes. that was yeah. yeah. You could get a lot on. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, uh one day I'll tell you the story of uh what I wiped doing one of those. So oh. Oh, hang, on, hang on, it wasn't the quarryman from nineteen sixty, was it? No comment. Oh, God. <laughs> We're on tenterhooks now, Mike. <laughs> but how extraordinary. Yes, so you taped it off the telly. I mean, that was an extraordinary moment for everyone. Actually, I was in bed because I was only six, but <laughs> so I missed it. But, I mean, I'm, I'm told it was it? brilliant. They, yeah, I missed it. My parents woke me up. Uh, we were on holiday in Cornwall, and they woke, oh, yeah. woke me up to see the spacemen, yeah? 
Um, wow. And uh, it made a, a profound effect. It really did. Quite extraordinary. There are certain moments in time that you're privileged. Sometimes you're not, uh, you know, privilege isn't the word. That you are on the moon landings because it was such an extraordinary feat uh, of mankind. And to witness that is there. But sometimes you see things uh, in the other room here, the kitchen here, I uh, was looking at the telly like I was looking at the moon landing, mm. all live, right? Mm. And this is going on. And I'm watching New York, and something's going on. And I shouted through to my wife and her friend who was in the other room. I said, something's just happened on the Empire State Building, mm. uh, I thought. And, oh, no, no, it's called a Twin Tower. There's two of them. We were there last year on the top. That, those twin towers, and they were just chatting away, and uh, yeah, yeah, okay. And I said, hold on, no, hold on. Suddenly, there's an, I thought it was a little plane that had gone in, and so, suddenly, wow, that's Suddenly, another one goes in. Mm. Hey, you, you really got to look at this, because you, you're not going to believe what's happening now live. And we just looked at it, in, and, uh, like the world, looked at that insanity, and there it was live. And so sometimes it's, you know, a lovely, unique time you're taping. And then suddenly mm. you are taping and looking at, you know, the worst bestiality known to mankind that people can do that in the name of whoever, their God, their religion. Yeah. Here, their here, world. Mike, here, here. Never. Yeah, not all, of our, not, not all of our universal shared experiences are wonderful, are they? Can I just briefly ask you about the man who found God on on the moon, Mike? I mean, I adore the track. Do you see that as as your musical highlight from your from your sort of very rich catalogue? Would you say that that's the highlight? That to me, if I'd have continued singing, that should be where I start. Because <laughs> <laughs> I like it so much. And it was just done out of everything is done. It's, as I said before, the Indian gurus sitting in the caves have said that, you know, there's, not, it's not, there's nothing, no such thing as coincidence. It's all meant. And so the way that song was constructed, we got to Strawberry Studio and our kids said, right, what are we doing today? I said, tell you the truth, nothing. He said, oh, great, should we go home? I said, no, no, I've got these ideas. And if we can link them, I've got that. They might link together, like what one of Band on the Run was it, where he linked all these songs together. Mm. I said, like on Band on the Run, you've linked all, and they go into each other, and Marmonias and whatever. They all link and go into each other. Uh, You know, if this song... It can go because there's lots of stories in it. It starts off with me driving home from London uh, up to here, 
and gliding along motorways, running a race, wasn't running a race, well, it was to get out. And then all the things that happened, uh, a balloon goes over, and as, as it's sunsetting, a balloon slowly, it was two, slowly crosses the motor. As you drive it, there's a real balloon, and mm-hmm. the sun fireworks actually exploded. Don't know what night it was, or just maybe a party, whatever it was. All the things in the opening verse, the man got on the moon, actually happened. Wow. Mm-hmm. Bit where Annette made me happy was I was in, I think it was Trident Studios in London, and uh, waiting for something, sitting in a reception. And suddenly this little girl uh, pops her head around the door. I think she had flowers in her. And uh, she was selling things for Krishna. I think she was selling flowers. It was had little flowers in her hair as well. And we looked at some flowers. I said, oh, okay, look, come on, come on. And I thought I'd buy those, whatever. And what's your name? I was only very young. And Annette. I said, oh, that's lovely. Oh, good luck. Off you go, Dad. Bye-bye. Because I have three girls and three daughters, so uh, I know about little girls. And uh, so that was that. And again, the same thing of it just, and it made me happy, baby. She started selling songs for Krishna, etc. And then as the song progressed, uh, progressed, uh, the other sound you sent me was my kid, two of my kids. And wasn't, I don't think I'd be... Abby might not have been born then, the younger mm. girl. But my two eldest girls, uh, were, I said, right, now here Daddy is going to sing that all you do is sing uh, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Rama. Okay, that's all you do. Yes, Daddy. You ready? Steady. Revox on. Do. I kiss her, I kiss her, I kiss her, I kiss her. Rama, which I love. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Do you ever remember uh, traffic holding my shoe? Oh, very much so, of course. So it was they sent me, uh, Gray, um, oh, Dave Mason sent me a demo that they just made. Mike, you're going to love this because uh, we just had a kid and, uh, and so you're going to like the little girl on this. And so I listened to it. And do you remember in the in the middle of it, a little girl holding my shoe, which is letting in water, letting in water. And the little girl's voice says, I climbed on the back of an albatross and, <laughs> and, 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 and you sailed up ever so high. Yes. Do you remember? Yes, of course. That thing. But I heard the original one, and this little girl is, is saying, I climbed on the back of an albatross, I climbed ever so, so high, all stuttering and uh, as a real child would do. Mm. And it was absolute magic. You would have, mm. you know, you just fell in love with it. Just like, oh. my God, this is so beautiful. 
Uh, and then, oh, Dave, this is so such a big hit, particularly with the kids' voice uh, being so hesitant, etc. Yeah, and, uh, how wonderful. Okay, uh, no, we wait till you hear the end of this story, because I'm going <laughs> to go. Uh, it was, the next thing is, the record came out, and it's on the airwaves. And I rang Dave, I said, Dave, what happened? He said, how do you mean? I said, the little girl. She's doing it all correctly. <laughs> that beautiful tape where she's, she's stammering and trying to get the words out. Absolute hell. Oh, yeah, don't tell me. The manager or the guy in charge, the, the boss, it was his daughter. And uh, he didn't like the idea of his daughter uh, stammering and being, didn't get it right. He made her do it till she got it right. Oh, <laughs> oh what a shame. Ah! But I kept Theron's mistake in, and uh, so that went out. Again, all these things, it, it, it just flowed into each other, and all those things, suddenly the kids, oh, we'll put the kids singing Hare Krishna in there. And so all the things that happened on that song actually happened to me live, and they just knitted in hmm. uh, beautifully into that song and that uh, I think that's Brian Jones again on the end sax of that. Right. Okay. Right. And the kids or an arcade. That makes a lot of sense, knowing it's actually a bunch of real lived experiences, because it does have, even though it goes off on all these different areas, it does have a, um, it kind of has a through line, and it probably is because it's experiences happening to the same person. Absolutely. That might explain why it has that kind of coherence about it, I think. Yeah. You got it. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, life and fantasy experience kind of weaving around. uh, Wonderful. Um, Just out of curiosity, uh, Mike, did you manage to get uh, Hello Piccadilly to your brother? No, he's been away. Okay. I haven't uh, had that joy yet, but I think he's be back soon, I think. So, that'll be good. When he hears that, yeah, we'd That's, love we'd love to hear what um, what, he, the, what he makes of it. I think I have the occasion to give him that. Yeah, okay, I've just decided. Brilliant. Okay, that's Brilliant. good. Hearing about Paul there, I guess you haven't yet seen Peter Jackson's uh, Disney Get Back six hour extravaganza, and, and if you do, I wonder whether your duet with Billy Preston is going to appear. Mm. Thank you. Uh, bloody lutely I asked about it. and uh, the uh, I don't know the answer. I was just looking I was talking to my publisher just before you rang right. I said is it November the 8th that we're re- releasing the book in uh, scale Sonny's studio up here okay. he and Max have uh, our, our two sons Sonny has this place called scale big beautiful studio where they have weddings, um, photo shoots, launches. He's launching his 12 years of uh, rock photography tomorrow in scale. And then I'm doing it. And I thought it was November the 8th, but my publisher said, uh, oh, that's what it originally was. Now it's the 22nd 
of November right. till 28th. And in the middle of that yeah. is Peter Jackson releasing that film uh, and our kid tells me I'm in it. Oh, great. Ah. Look, looking forward to seeing that. Because I think... Only a think, bit. I think Alan Williams is in it as well. Uh, when he visited them on set, I'm looking forward to seeing that bit, if that's in it too. Yeah. Oh, no, the best bit was... Uh, which will probably be left out. I don't know which bit they've got of me in it, but the bit I'd like them to show was where I went in when they were recording and there's a big light on. This is, uh, 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 where was it, Savile Row. They mm. used to have the headquarters called Apple mm. in Savile Row. And underneath was the recording studio where I did lots of the, a couple of those tracks Let's turn the radio on and blowing in the wind, or blowing in the bay, was it? Blowing in the bay. Yeah. In, the, in that studio, when it was defunct, when the Alan Klein guy had ripped the whole interior of Apple out uh, and it was down below. Hmm. But then it was a vibrant uh, building. All the floors were in beautiful fireplaces, which when I went, they were on the bloody side of the... Building the rain, but uh-huh. this is the Let It Be time, and it was uh, they were recording uh, Get Back, I think. I think it was Get Back. Don't interrupt hey, stars son. when they're recording. Hey, hey. We're bloody stars, you know. Oh, well, don't come in, chic. And now your host for this evening, the Bottles. and uh, the recording and so I could saw the red light and and uh, just about to go in this my mic no no they're recording <laughs> open the door slipped in it was going to stand at the back to show them my new shiny coat had a shiny <laughs> leather red very shiny pretend leather coat and uh, I thought I wanted to show them my coat and <laughs> Stand at the back, so I did, uh, and uh, recorded Billy Preston's up here. The Beatles are down the centre of this recording studio, and Billy was on a roster on the left, or playing his organ, etc. Sure, it's get back, and uh, fine. That was that was good, and slowly the camera, it's a real film camera, started to track from the back. I think John with Yoko underneath the piano, where he was. Um, and uh, started to track down. And I suddenly thought, oh, God, they're going to come, and i am just been standing. They're not going to see me nude. I think was, what the hell are you doing in here? Throw me out, <laughs> you know. So I thought, what I'll do? There's a piano straight ahead of me, so I'll get on the piano and pretend to play it. <laughs> the lid was closed. And so uh, and I could see this camera slowly coming up faster and faster, nearer and nearer. And so I thought, oh God, I better really, like pretend I'm part of the band, Billy Preston too here. And so I started to play the thing. It really closed. And the camera ran right past me. <laughs> and it was like looking at me <laughs> and then swift down to Beatles. And so that's all I'd love to see, this lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> Shiny... Uh, shiny leather, pretend leather coat, playing nothing. Uh, mm. 
on this track. That that's a bit of bet. That's the bit that isn't in. Oh, that's Marv. What a story, Mike. Fantastic. <laughs> Tell us about um, your, your new book, Mike. Uh, some, yeah, some more called, wonderful pictures of Liverpool, I hope. It's called Mike McCartney's Early Liverpool, which was asked by... The, have you ever heard of Genesis Books? Yes. Hmm. OK. Uh, Judge Rinder, uh, day before yesterday, did his programme. He said, oh, I said, have you heard of Genesis? I said, the same question to judge rinder as you would and uh i said have you heard of genesis books he said i've heard of genesis the group i know them i said well well that's weird because i thought it was genesis the group's book publishing company Mm. Uh nothing to do with them i think they started before genesis and so there's a gentleman called brian roylance who was the boss of genesis and he asked me 20 or oh, millions of years ago, Mike, can I have your definitive, your really, your, your Beatles photographs? And I said, no. Right. Fair enough. Mm. I've got a career of my own to do, and it's hard enough. And so, uh, yeah, one day, Bri, one day. <laughs> and I kept saying one day for 20 years. <laughs> and then so at the end, he I passed away and he it passed to Nick his son and uh, Kathy his daughter and they do these wonderful books on Genesis uh, Bowie Stones Bob Marley uh, look at Google Genesis books yeah and they're all fine art limited editions uh, lim- limited edition coffee table book they are beautiful mm. exp- none of us three can afford to buy them so I remember you, you told me the price of this thing, Mike, on the phone. Oh, honestly, it was toe curling. Oh, yeah. And that's the cheap one. Yeah. Wait till you get to the deluxe one. Wait the price. But may I say, and in my forward in the book, may I say it's bloody worth it. Yeah. This thing is, I've been on it every day because of COVID and lockups. Uh, uh, I've been on doing this book for two years. I've been working it for one year every day, working on it. Mm. So, uh, you know, in the end, this book is not only... And so, therefore, I thought, okay, but I don't want to give... I, I, I will give uh, the the best Beatle photographs and Beatle things you've never seen before. Mm. Twiggy, doing her show the other day, and Twiggy said she's seen the book somehow online or something they've sent the publisher sent her you can see it on the telly and she said i've seen a lot of these i haven't seen uh, your brother i met your brother when i was 17 and a lot of these i've never seen but i said i've only just found them twigs but i didn't want it to be just that so i have made it mike mccartney's early liverpool was not just about my uh, um, a beautiful brother and his beautiful band. Uh, it they are obviously a very important part of early sixties. Uh, but there was also this fascinating other side to Liverpool with its comedy, satirical comedy, its art, its 
it's pop art, it's poetry. There was always that side of it. So I've slowly brought them in scaffold, Adrian Henry, all, all these people, Sam Walsh, etc. I brought them into the book. And, of course, the amazing rock stars that just happened to be uh, passing Liverpool. Can you imagine what it's like only hearing records of unbelievable sounds uh, when you first heard Little Richard's voice? Yeah. What the hell was that? What happened? <laughs> it just takes you... This is too extraordinary. He's an opera singer. He's a soul singer. He's a belts it out. He's a showman. This guy, wow. Yeah. And uh, then uh, J. Lee Lewis, Gene Vincent, all these people were coming through Liverpool. And I just happened to have a camera. Mm. And first of all, it was a little pop-out one for Cologne when I hitchhiked from Liverpool to Munich. Uh, and then our kid sent me this Roly Magic because he thought if I... Uh, it's a latest Roly Flex, but this one's... I'm waiting. I'm bringing home... I've got the letter done. I put a few letters in. Uh, one lovely letter from Stuart Sutcliffe to me because I asked you about uh, murals. And so he's replying to me in this amazing James Joycean surreal uh, flow of words and some ambulance creeping over me. And, uh, I've got, a, 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 I think it's quite a bit of Stuart's letter. Wow. Quite, quite, because uh, so, that's what is in it. There's a lot of that. <laughs> and letters like, uh, there's a letter to, uh, I think, to us, me and Dad, from our kid in Hamburg. Uh, but why? I'd put it in. It's just, the, it's just the envelope with the German stamps on it. And it's addressed to us, Fortlin Road, which the National Trust had just bought. Uh, but that's not the thing. Most important thing on this letter is Dad's shopping list. Two land jobs, some spuds, please. Isn't it true that your dad used to go down the cavern when Paul's on stage and, and give him the instructions for cooking the, the tea? <laughs> that's, the that's why I had to go from school, go down to the cavern, because yeah. uh, sometimes I'd get the home before our kid dad wanted his thing so he'd bring uh the whatever he wanted for the right sausages or mm. lamb chops whatever to the cavern and mm. leave them there for me or paul to take home to uh fortin road I hope, hope they were hope they were still okay after a lunchtime session. Presumably there wasn't there wasn't a fridge down the cavern. You just had to hope they lasted, I guess. Actually, to tell you the truth, lunchtime sessions weren't that hot. The the okay. evening sessions were the ones where I've got the pictures of the cavern ceiling, and it was like our bath in Fourth and Row. Dripping, was it? <laughs> Actually, the paint. Wow. When you had a bath in. Uh, fourth in row because mum died uh, we just left it and the paint off the ceiling when you had a bath in fourth it just floated down into the bath same thing in the cavern it got so hot there mm. it, the heat rose and you'll see the pictures of my ceilings with uh, the paint dripping off the ceiling wow. she wouldn't dance with another 
But lunchtime sessions weren't as hot as evenings or as full because, you know, nobody can get off work lunchtime. Yeah. You can only come in your lunchtime. So a lot of people came, but it wasn't as hot as the smell was still there. I always said <laughs> that somebody should bottle. I think I put it in the book. Somebody, If somebody had bottled the smell of the cavern, they'd have made a fortune. And all the smell was was the heat, the sweat. Mm. It was the uh, the rotting fruit because all the warehouses were fruit warehouses. So they tumbled into the cavern and they rotted. So that was a smell. And the bogs used to overflow. Oh, so, nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. That mixture of all that, and somebody should have uh, bottled that, made a fudge. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, de cavern. <laughs> what a thought. It, it still stinks oh. down there. And there's yeah. not even oh. a fruit market anymore. Oh, de cavern. Yeah. <laughs> Hypnotic, what you were saying about the book there, Mike. Wonderful. Can we go and see any of it in an, an exhibition or anything? That's what I'm doing now, organising with Genesis uh, to have an exhibition in Liverpool, in scale, sunny scale. Uh, they have the top floor at Kempston Street in Liverpool behind TJ Hughes's. And they have the top floor of this uh, big block of offices. Uh, and Sonny has scale. Max has no face tattoo. My uh, one of our other sons next door to it. Okay. Um, Josh is just coming back from New York as, as we talk, but he just landed. Oh, Glad to hear it. Glad to hear he's landed safely. That's fantastic news. Mike, I wanted to share this with you. I got uh, a, a text message a few days ago from a, a friend of the show, um, Pete, Pete Ogle, who came round to my house and we were listening to some some more tapes. Uh, we were listening to Godly and Cream's Consequences. And it was so good. But he sent me this uh, thank you text. I thought you might like it. He says, hey, Sean, I just want to thank you yet again. You inspired me to buy the McGear album. I bought the three-disc box set, and it's magnificent, especially listening uh, after your podcast concerning the Macca sound effects. He says, I've played it several times since it arrived, and it reveals new joys each time. I just thought I'd share that with you. Um, you won't get paid from us, but at least you'll be getting a, a few royalties. <laughs> what a creep. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, that was a joke. What's his name? P- Pete Ogle. He's a, a lovely, lovely fella. Pete, that's a joke like Spike Milligan said to Prince Charles. It's one of those jokes. And in fact, that's what Judge Rinder the other day said. <laughs> he said, uh, Mike, you good-looking lad. Uh, yeah, all you ladies looking in here. He said, Mike, are you, uh, I've got to ask you, are you single? <laughs> so I said, oh, absolutely, definitely single. But don't tell the wife of 40 years next year. Don't tell the wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had a laugh. Like you, you're delayed laugh, may I say. (laughs) Blame Zoom Zoom on that. Yeah, we'll we'll make it shorter. You can can edit it it out, yeah. Brilliant. Uh, (laughs) This has been a real joy, Mike. And I have to say, I I was remembering um, one of my earliest memories, actually, the other day. I was in school assembly. And I was dragged out of school assembly, literally, by, by the wrist. I still bear the scars for, get this, lying on my back with my legs wiggling in, in the air, singing Lily the Pink. 
Um, so you've got a lot to answer for that, um, my man. Um, but it was the it was the very first record I ever fell in love with, and I just wanted to thank you for that. Thank you very much, um, and Sean, you are also. Do you realise you're in the book? What? You are in the book, Sean. Sean is in the book. I tell the story in the book about McGough and Gorman did the majority of Scaffold's writing. But our first ever live performance on Gazette television was I wrote the sketch, right? Okay. Well, to this day, why? But I wrote it. And one of the lines in it was, it was all about Sean Connery. And so I made him uh, Sean Bond. And so my opening line on this live television was I had to come down and say uh, good day to John Gorman. John Gorman was steed and I'm at the back waiting in the shadows in silhouette. And so he's saying, he's the producer, saying, get on, get on. And I'm going and flick the cigarette away and uh, all cool, back in in silhouette, walk down and suddenly... The light's gone. My God, whoa! It's This is serious. Very bright, very hot. And I go and I walk and I know and suddenly go, oh, this is live. This is my first time on telly. Wow. All of them. Yeah. And no going back. And I, oh, no. And so I go down to Mr. Watt. There's Sean, uh, you know, Steed. And I go, and I, uh, nothing. It's not. Absolute silence. So <laughs> Gorman, Gorman immediately says, uh, uh, I suppose your name is Sean Bond? Yes, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I am Sean Bond. He says, I don't care if you're Sean back and sides. Don't, hey. don't point that finger at me. <laughs> yes, yeah. we've been expecting you, Mr Bond. Very, very nice of you to join us for the second time, Mike, and uh, thank you very much. Fabulous. It's, it, been an, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure, Mike, and um, and do let us know if you have any feedback from, from Paul about uh, about the jingle. That would be fabulous. Yeah, I'm dying for him to hear because it's so nice, such a, a lovely, inventive, natural, lovely harmonies. Yeah. Well, I know he's going to like that. Yeah, don't absolutely. Don't, don't say anything. Because he hasn't had it yet. Yeah, keeping the seat warm for you, if you like. Yeah. I have now got to sign 2,000 books. Ooh. Hope you're ambidextrous. Well, you're going to need to put your wrists on ice after that, I think, Mike. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Brilliant. Anyway, bless you so much for this. It's been such a laugh. Thanks ever so much. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. See ya. And long long may 10cc rule. Too right. That's that's what what we're here for. So uh, thank you. Fabulous. Cheers, Mike. (laughs) Thanks ever so much. See ya. See ya. Bye bye, Mike. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. How do you get out of this? (laughs) You can't now. You've got to live in this. You've got to live here forever now. I'm afraid. (laughs) Bye all. See ya. Oh, isn't he a lovely guy, Paul? Yeah, fantastic um, to chat to him. Today was a, was a joy, and he's he's so colourful in his stories, and he, he's got such a rich history as well, hasn't he? Yeah, 
Uh, there's always a point to his story. He sounds like he's rambling, but he's always he always circles back to exactly what he was talking about in the first place, and he's razor sharp, really. So it was uh, very interesting to hear just a small fraction of things that he could have told us, you know, oh, what I he know. actually did tell us. Um, um, we had a, an unofficial list of about 50 questions as well, and we, we, got, uh, we got about two or three into those. <laughs> but uh, fascinating, and I, I find him a surprisingly spiritual guy. Um, hmm. he, he makes a lot of references to things that are kind of life-changing in terms of things that have happened to him spiritually, in terms of his world outlook. I, I find it fascinating. Mm, that that's right. I mean, he's a. Uh, you, it's difficult to read parallels between the the two brothers. I suppose there's a similarities. So obviously, we don't we don't know for sure. There's differences. Maybe uh, uh, Paul, when he's interviewed, has been asked so many things, and he um, you know the same questions, and uh, so many times that his he's a much more difficult person to interview one would imagine mm. in, it, to get through that shell which any anybody who's interviewed a lot inevitably and it's no through no fault of their own they start recounting the same conversational gambits i mean we all do that yeah we crikey, know, crikey, we've made a blooming podcast in in that fashion yeah we even notice that about ourselves which yeah. is which is which is interesting so th- there's nothing it's just what what happens, and and somebody like Paul McCartney, who's probably been sp- uh, spoken, you know, has done more interviews maybe than than anybody, or you mm. know, uh, except for a handful of people. That that sort of degrades the quality of what you'll get, really. So, um, but there is a. Um, I mean, you know, Paul, I think, considers himself a hippie. He even says that, and I think we would. Uh, maybe consider Mike a hippie and that's not in any way meant as a criticism he's a very open-hearted well he's a child of the 60s isn't he yes and uh, there were I, I was reading a a fan blog or a forum or something the other day um talking about the Harry Krishna song on mm. on the Magira album and um people were were wondering if it was a piss take of George Harrison but today the, the way he was talking about it and, the, and the, the sincerity and the joy he got from having his two kids sing it and I didn't I didn't detect any irony there at all no not at all as he explained uh, very clearly there it was a sort of a stream of consciousness of things that happened to him but mm. it sparked from that initial meeting with the uh, the girl uh, selling flowers yeah. for Krishna, and there, there's not an ounce of cynicism there. I don't think no. so. Uh, I, no, it's it's not in any way. I don't think it's connected at all with uh, with George Harrison, really, because that chant, which George popularised through "My Sweet Lord," is 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 um you know chanting the names of the lord it's not a beatles copyright that is it let's face it no george he didn't instigate that 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 uh, existed Hmm. i guess for thousands of years before he he went to number one with it so i don't don't think the things are related really no absolutely so uh, yeah absolutely fascinating and i'd I'd love to see that exhibition you know paul Mm. perhaps on one of my numerous trips up uh, up to manchester and stockport Perhaps we could mm. we could have a little side detour. Yeah, it'd be lovely to see those pictures, um, you know, reproduced uh, as close to the original as possible and really large. Mm. Because you know, Mike's uh, put various pictures 
you know, um, in in books, and often they were uncredited. You know, we didn't realise that these um, great pictures were by him, um, but he was there. You know, uh, obviously at the grounds, taking these great pictures of the Beatles, among others. You know, it's often said that the Beatles had the knack, extraordinary knack, of of gathering exactly the right people around them. Mm. Uh, at somehow at the right time so we've got these wonderful pictures that Mike took you've also got those amazing pictures that Astrid took and that uh, Jürgen Vollmer took oh, we sort of take it for granted these are pictures taken all taken before the Beatles were famous as you were so they just kind of attracted other people to t- mm. artistic people with the flair enough to take great intimate portraits of them yes. really fascinating and, and wonderful pictures there was one I think on Twitter Maybe yesterday or the day before, and it was uh, kind of a quarryman, a quarryman type photo of an extremely baby-faced Paul McCartney uh, in some living room, mm. um, probably around fifty-nine, I think, and a, just an extraordinary photo, um, not just historically, but uh, beautifully taken and and absolutely pristine. Um, we're so fortunate, aren't we, that there were people around with the eye and good enough cameras to capture Mm. that yeah that's right and somehow even at that stage the Beatles or Quarrymen as they were there or the personalities of 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 John and Paul and George as it was then had this kind of gravitational pull to Mm. kind of attract attract like-minded people towards them yes they they already had the charisma didn't they exactly um yeah, one might think that the Beatles story starts with Love Me Do or slightly earlier, but, um, you know, having read quite a few Beatles books, it's clear that uh, it all starts way before. It starts in Liverpool when they're school children. Hmm. Um, I mean, you, you asked me earlier about the... About, this about inter- the schools. Con- yeah, the interconnectivity. Um, yeah, I think I was saying that, you know, Paul and George went to Liverpool Institute... Uh, along with Mike, of course, who was a couple of years behind Paul and Neil Aspinall, their roadie and the eventual, eventual manager of Apple Records, he was he was a school friend too. And, and next door, with a door that was blocked off, but it, you know it was all the same building and it, it had once been the same connected building, but mm. they blocked it off. Next door was the art school with with John and and Stu Sutcliffe, who Mike also mentioned. Um, uh, and then you've got these things where um, I didn't realise this till very recently, but Thelma Pickles, who was uh, a girlfriend of both John and Paul, mm. ma- ra- married Roger McGough from a scaffold. Is that right? Yeah. So you've got this uh, again. It's a pretty small cohort of people all working, you know, or, or so, and playing together. And uh, of course, I guess that would happen because it was just a relatively small number of people at the same in the same place at the same time. Yeah. So of course, they do all have; they're all connected in in some way. There's a fascinating parallel there, isn't there, with 10CC? Or maybe I'm I'm kind of reading too much into it. You fa- you've got the art school next door, mm. um, linked but not linked. Um, yeah. It's anyway. That, that was just a lazy reference. Um, no, I think, I, no, I don't. I don't think so. I, I mean, I think art schools are. No, I think that's that's very important. You know, art school. You think who came out of art school? Uh, John Lennon, Ray Davis, Pete Townsend, 
um, Kevin Lowell. Um, it, they were formative in, I suppose, in one way they delayed, <laughs> simply in that they delayed certain kind of people with an artistic bent having to get a proper job. Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, Ke- Kevin talks about this, doesn't he? You know, he didn't know what he was going to do, but he went to art school so that he could put off the dreaded grind of <laughs> nine to five. And th- there had to be an element of that, as well as being a sort of melting pot where you melt, where you met like-minded people. Uh, and if you were lucky, I suppose you met um, uh, lecturers or tutors who who allowed you to be creative. Yes, or and, and who completely altered your way of looking at creativity forever. Um, and there must have been very, very important. And, and I guess going to art school would have been, for many of those kids, a kind of a, a chrysalis of, of what they probably felt subconsciously to be a kind of a creative um, calling. Uh, and maybe art school just helped them on the journey to putting, in, putting into focus uh, what they were on the planet to do. Yeah, and of course, a couple of years before, all those people we mentioned would have probably be ended up would have ended up doing national service. Yes, you know, it was scrapped just a couple of years before, um, and that might have curtailed any ambitions they had in that direction. I mean, we should say Mike didn't go to art school, as as we, as we mentioned. Um, it's a bit of a rambling chat, this, but as we mentioned earlier, he he started out as a an apprentice hairdresser. Um, but then gravitated towards his true calling as a as a performance artist. Um, I think initially it was the Liverpool Arts Festival, maybe as early as 1962, where he met up with John Gorman and Roger McGough um, and various others. And that, but it eventually coalesced into those three. Um, so you know, not an obvious thing for a working class Liverpool boy to do. Mm. Um, you know. Um, and one suspects that he was obviously influenced by his brother, but the you know uh, he found his own calling. And of course, at the height of or just at the start of Beatlemania, uh, rather than trading on the name McCartney, he he changed his surname to McGear, and that, mm. that's why that's why he had that that name, not wishing to be uh, not not wishing to ride on the coattails of his brother, we should say. Absolutely, and and he he. F- he ploughed a very individual musical furrow, didn't he? I've been fascinated listening to some of the Scaffold stuff, and I confess that prior to a couple of weeks ago, my experience of Scaffold was, you know, probably just the three obvious songs. And, and, mm. and as I said to Mike during our chat, you know, Lily the Pink really was the first record I was obsessed with and singing it uh, incessantly at home, probably to the absolute terror of of my parents but um the scaffold were a lot more than a novelty trio weren't they um i i've been really captivated by a couple of things one the the sort of arrangement and instrumentation on thank you very much which Mm. i guess was their their first enormous hit wasn't it and particularly the b-side of lily the pink for buttons of your mind what a contrast you're not mine anymore As we take our last walk together Along the midnight shore Before we say goodbye Forever I think Mike w- 
was the one who, who wanted a hit. Um, I, I think I've got it the right way around. And John Gorman, um, the kind of uh, loose cannon, if you like, um, <laughs> of, of the scaffold. I mean, uh, he's Mike the one. He's the one who who reappeared on Tis Was. Is that, is that yeah. him? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He will be well known to, to people of a certain age <laughs> as, uh, as one of the sort of presenters of, of Tis Was, the, the kids' programme. Um, but I think, the, I think the compromise was that um, they did the non-satirical B-side as a foil hmm. to the, you know, the reconstituted rugby song um Lily the Pink on the A side, <laughs> which they probably knew they'd have a hit with, yeah. um, because it's a it's a great sing along. Um, I think the Scaffold Records, I mean, like a lot of comedy records, there I find them a little bit problematical in that they some of them don't bear repeated listening, and they perhaps age more than other records because rather than rather than standing out of out of time, they're they're topical in in some ways, aren't they? So that they, yes. they maybe do, they maybe do date, uh, and I'd I'd say the same thing with like the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band and hmm. and even stuff like Python, I suppose. Yes, and, it, and it's very much of its time, isn't it? And, and satire will always be, um, well, will usually be kind of very much the product of the political world that that it's created in. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. The the first line of thank you very much. Um, I did a bit of googling on this. Thank you oh, very, yeah. thank you very much for the. I thought it was the Aintree Iron, um, mm. and uh, a, a few a few sages online were uh, coming to the conclusion that that was a reference to Epstein himself. Iron is Cockney rhyming slang for for a gay person. But right. um, looking a bit further, it looks like Aintree Ion was a kind of Liverpool neighbourhood watch scheme, Paul. Have you heard that one? Thank you very much for the Aintree Iron. Thank you very much, thank you very, very, very much. Thank you very much for the Aintree Iron. Thank you very, very, very much. Uh, all I remember about that famous line, I think, is that Mike has never divulged what it <laughs> actually was. Ah. Um, so I think that's one of those... Um, Un, un, unknown quantities, I think. I think he's kept it a secret. I may have that wrong. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, because he was very, very coy on one of the sites I was looking at. Looking at. But Aintree right. Ion, as in keep your eye on the neighbours. Um, oh, right, okay. Yeah, um, and Aintree being part of Liverpool. But it's a bit obscure, isn't it, for a, for a hit record? Well, the first line started, of course, as thank you very much for the Nikon camera. <laughs> because Paul had bought him a camera, you know, Mike was talking about photography with us and he bought him a new Nikon camera, which which would have perhaps, I don't know, that, that would have been an equally good opening line. I mean, every, everything with, with Mike is, it has a little twist in it, um, but, I mean, he was vindicated because that was a, a big hit. Yeah. Um, a very memorable song. Famous, of course, wasn't it? The Queen Mother's favourite song. <laughs> yes, that's right. Because she, like the rest of the nation, misheard it as uh, thank you very much for our gracious Queen. But I think it's actually for our gracious team, isn't it? Yes, I that's think another, it is. That's another kind of mythical thing. Is it, is it, which one is it? And does it refer to Liverpool or Everton? That's yet another can of worms, isn't it? Absolutely. But I love the Englishness of, of Scaffold. And was uh, Two Days Monday their debut record, Paul? Yes, that was. And that, that was 
produced by George Martin. And we mentioned Brian Epstein. I mean, uh, they were briefly managed by Brian Epstein. Yeah. Uh, In fact, Brian had, like, um, he liked uh, working with, you know, solo singers, Billy J. Kramer and Tommy Quickly in the early days. And there was some talk that he wanted to promote Mike as as a solo singer, which could have worked. I mean, the guy had a had a good voice definitely he was a, good look, a good looking lad yeah um and um you know why not that 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 uh, that would have worked but for whatever reason that didn't happen but but nems did uh, bring scaffold uh, that's that's brian's management company they brought scaffold under their wing and therefore they went to parlophone and that first single was produced by george martin mm-hmm. and um is it is it three blind jellyfish the b-side <laughs> yes which, which is you know a, a daft song just like the a-side but that one's got quite a um an inventive and and kind of recognizable george martin production okay that one no, no i haven't um but i uh, know i'm gonna i'm gonna seek that out but i i, I love the kind of almost campy cockney accents on on two days monday so it was it was a it was very very amusing to hear mike kind of um revisiting that cockney when he was talking to us but um, the um the references to what you do uh on each day of the week you know fish on friday etc um i mean it, it was kind of my early childhood really in song mm-hmm. and uh, a beautiful englishness about it um, just so mundane how anybody could actually have a hit singing you know drivel like that but it's <laughs> it is but it is infectious Saturday's payday Friday's fish Thursday's shepherd's pie Wednesday's a roast having Tuesday's soup Monday's washing day is everybody happy you bet your life we are And one fell off. I think Scaffold really touched a nerve with, with kids. They really, uh, you know, okay, we were kids when Lily the Pink came out. But something about listing and the repetitive nature of, of, of their songs, it really it kind of worked for kids. And again, I don't know the details, didn't research this, but I've got kind of received memories of Scaffold being on telly quite a lot and yes. appearing on you know some of those kids programs where they where they were on regularly and performing and i'm sure they they were on a lot yes they were the kind of uh, the alternative grumbleweeds weren't they <laughs> yeah. just yeah, yeah okay. just to throw in another 70s reference but i remember them on on tv a lot and of course we were talking about them a couple of weeks ago weren't we as, as taking part in the decimalization films uh, yeah they would have been chosen by the bbc for very good reasons for perhaps appealing to people across the the age spectrum. Mm, mm. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. What happened then with with Mike's career, Paul, between the 60s and the 70s? He seems to be reborn like a butterfly, doesn't he, in, in 1972? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm out of my comfort zone here because I don't really know his history. I know that after the scaffold broke up he or rather they kind of expanded to form Grimm's didn't they which was a group which included 
I think all the members of the original scaffold, somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, plus Neil Innes, uh, plus another Liverpool poet to bring a bit more sort of poetry into the group alongside Roger McGough. I can't remember the guy's name, but he's, he's one of the, uh, the the surnames in the in the acronym of the, t- of, of the name Grimms. Okay. If you disagree, she'll smash your nose. She's a backbreaker, she's a fell apart um, and Mike must have got um, a deal um, and recorded the Woman album which again I, I, some of it I, um, I mean I must admit I don't know this that record too well but um, some of it doesn't really burrow into me but you know Woman is, is, is the one song which which stands out and we mentioned it as a as quite a beautiful and soulful ballad and that that certainly brings out well you see mike's spiritual side there undoubtedly which which you've just mentioned yeah absolutely i I think it's a really interesting album paul not least of which because i think it's a cousin to to the hot legs album it's got Mm. a, a lot of similarities in terms of the the very eclectic styles uh and the sound of course i mean you can't escape the the sound of strawberry at the start of the 70s you know hints of the kind of current sounding almost glam rock elements occasionally and you've got the much more sort of thoughtful piano ballads and so on um and and there's some really nice mike mccartney jokiness in the lyrics i i really like this the song called bored as butterscotch i absolutely love the, the title and uh, if we'd had more time today, I'd, I'd have asked Mike if, if that song was influenced by the Dennis Wilson song Forever from the Sunflower album. Oh, really? Is it, is it reminiscent of it? I'm Extremely to, I'm so, particularly the, the, the chord progression. I love the sort of the sweetness and the softness of the sound. Um, I think Pete Tassel did a very, very good job on that record. If every word I say What I hadn't realised, Paul, until you, you sent me that missive, was that the scaffolds recorded the Liverbirds theme tune. It's a great, a great little groovy thing. Yes, um, I remember that from the, the well-known comedy programme from the 70s, set in Liverpool, of course. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it's a kind of North of England, California girls, isn't it? <laughs> yes, the, the, where, the, where, the girl, where the girls are actually birds, as, as opposed to... You know, nice beard. 
Yeah, but they're you know he goes around the country as I recall. Uh, but you know the <laughs> Liverpool girls are the best. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we'll play a clip of that. I can't yes. quite remember how it goes, but it's it's quite nice. Yeah. Although that that is based, that's a traditional tune, isn't it? I it think is. a lot of their a lot of their a lot of their songs are based on traditional tunes. But uh, and and that uh, was a bit of a tradition in the seventies, wasn't there? You remember Z Cars? Uh, the mm. the tune of that was was an old folk tune. Which I guess is from Liverpool. That Everton Football Club still use as the as the kind of um, the intro music at the start of a match. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah. And is that because Forever Everton wasn't quite strong enough? Is it not? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bet that gets played as well. <laughs> and of course. The McGear album, Paul, 1974, we've talked a lot, haven't we, on and off about that, that record, but it really does stand up for repeated listening. It does. McGear album is uh, almost a Wings album in all but name. I mean, Paul was right at the top of his game, super confident, immediately after the huge vindication and success of Band on the Run, um, recorded with... Wings um, Mark 1.5 really uh, Denny Sywell and Henry McCulloch had just left the band before the recording of Band on the Run so they were down to a three piece Paul Linder and Denny Lane but Paul was not only recording the album with Mike he was kind of auditioning players at the same time mm. um, Jimmy McCulloch um, was brought in um, to play his first sessions with Paul and he became the new guitarist in Wings and I believe Paul also wanted Jerry Conway who, who played drums on the McGear album to join the band but he, he declined um, and ended up going with uh, well originally Jeff Britton and then um, Joe English shortly thereafter but you've got this nucleus of great players and of course right at the centre of the, the nucleus you've got Paul and his you know incredible playing and arranging and singing abilities and just you know flowing flowing with music and his voice at an absolute peak in 1974 and then you've got Paul's clout to bring in um, people like Paddy Maloney mm. the great player from the Chieftains who, who Mike mentioned of course uh, and you've got Brian Jones doing those, all, all that great work on sax. You've got Peter Tattersall, who, you know, whose work shouldn't be underestimated, doing that great engineering job. Um, so you've got this, you know, cohort of, of players yeah. uh, who are really firing on all cylinders. And the songs, the songs are terrific, aren't they? They are. They are. <laughs> And and it's interesting that looking back uh, to the Woman album, and even even before that, Paul, Mike 
really did have a knack of surrounding himself with extremely talented musicians. He was telling me on the phone uh, of some of the people that were involved in in those early recording sessions, people like Zoot Money, Brian mm. Auger, um, also Mr. Mr. Bruce himself played bass on Lily the Pink. Um, yeah, one note, one note, I think. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and uh, uh, one of the Hollies as well sang some backing vocals on Lily the Pink. Yeah, Graham Nash sang <laughs> yeah. the line about Jennifer Eccles and our, you know, Tim Rice. Of course, yes. as as Norrie Paramore's production assistant, a, another podcast guest was sang a line or two. Um, yeah, maybe well, maybe it's our mission, Paul, to interview everybody who was involved with Lily the Pink. Well, uh, yeah, be worse, be Why worse not? things, yeah. be worse things to do. But I mean, going back to McGear, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's just a great collection of songs. I mean, I'd I'd love to know kind of who wrote what. Um, and we've said that, you know, Mike's personality is very much evident in the lyrics and not just the lyrics in the whole kind of visceral approach of the, the way the songs are recorded mm. and the way they're put together. But um, it, it's, you know, this is interesting to hear Paul and Mike sing in harmony. Um, and that takes you back to, or you, you, way back earlier in the pod, you were talking about the, the scout camp incident, mm. right? where Paul and Mike were at scout camp in Derbyshire, I think, and Mike fell out of a tree and broke his arm. It sounds humorous, if you'll pardon the pun. Oh, very good. <laughs> but it wasn't really, because he seriously... He, was in, he didn't just break his arm, he was in hospital for weeks, mm. and um, his arm was never quite the same, and this is significant because he had a drum kit, and he, he couldn't basically play drums well enough and and who knows he might have been in the running for the you know being on the drum stool with the quarrymen mm. or, or and all the beatles and uh, oh, but, but, that, what a pivot but, in history that could have been well yeah now i'm thinking you know what if you had george and john and paul and mike singing harmony with mm. that kind of brotherly blend yeah At the end of every rainbow we'll be Uh, okay, maybe that would have been one McCartney too many in the Beatles in terms of the the fine balance of this kind of alchemy that was going on. Yes. But um, we point being, you do get to hear Paul and Mike sing harmony uh, on the McGear album quite a lot, and it, they 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 blend beautifully, you know. And some you know sometimes you can't quite tell who's who's singing what. Although I guess it's Paul taking the the harmony lines, but Mike is pretty much singing all the lead vocals and he does a great job he sounds terrific i agree i agree a, a terrific record i'll tell you another uh, great record paul i was really grateful that you you put me in touch with and that's from quite a bit later from i think 1980 all, mm -hmm. all the whales in the ocean oh a lovely song that yeah. is a lovely song in three four so it's got that kind of waltzy feel with some lovely sort of 12 string guitars to my ears but um, mm. it struck me suddenly that that might be the last record that the gizmo was ever on. Well, OK, this is interesting, All the Whales in the Ocean. It sounds... Well, I don't know when that was recorded. I don't know whether that was recorded l much later than the McGear sessions. But, but it, 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 it was a different studio, Amazon in Liverpool, I read. Oh, OK, yeah. right. So, so 
Paul wasn't involved, but then the gizmo... You're convinced, aren't you? There's a gizmo on there. A hundred percent convinced. Godly and Cream were doing quite a bit of session work, studio work, producing work, weren't they, at that time? Yeah. I find that a lovely song. Uh, it reminds... Well, a couple of things. One is, in the back of my mind, it sounds like that's based on a traditional melody. Do you know? It, you know, it sounds like another song, but I can't quite pick out what it is. Yes. And the other thing is, it's got that beautiful use of counterpoint in that the verse melody or the, the, the B section melody reappears over the chords to the A section. Mm. And that's a thing Paul does effortlessly and, and quite a lot. But it really works the way Mike does it too. It's, and it's a, the message is great, you know, um, ecological, ecological message. So uh, just a kind of bit of a lost gem, that one. It is. And, and was that his swan song musically? I think it was. Um, I, As far as I know, in the early 80s, he made a conscious decision to retire from music and, and be a photographer. And that was also the time at which he changed his name back to McCartney, uh, and his first book, um, which I've got and is, is, is terrific, which is called Thank You Very Much, is a kind of um, picture-filled autobiography, um, which seemed to uh, coincide with the relaunch of his new persona or right. profession, professional career, if you like. Don't know too much about the details, but yeah, I think he kind of gave up music um, in around that time, which is a shame, really, because mm. I think he had, had a lot to offer, you know, with or without Paul. Yes, I, I totally agree, and and it's been a pleasure finding out more about about his work. It's certainly there's not an awful lot of it, but it's very rich, I think, um, and it's amusing, it's beautiful, it's moving in places, it's mm. it stretches a few boundaries in others. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been fascinating and. Really nice to, to see them last year um, getting a bit of publicity uh, for a really good cause when uh, they re-recorded a version of Thank You Very Much and, and dedicated it to the NHS. Yes, that was really nice. I think that was Mike and John Gorman, yes. I think. Or, or was Roger McGough involved as well? Apologies, I can't remember which of them I think were. It, I think it was Mike and John. Okay. And that circles right back round to Mary McCartney, you know, the midwife who started uh, training at all the Hay Hospital in Liverpool and, mm. and, and was a midwife at the NHS for, I think, 25 years, even, even though she died tragically young. Um, so that must have been in Mike's mind as well when he made that recording. Yes. So we'll leave you with that. And um, hopefully, folks, soon we'll, we'll hear back from our kid. Um, and... Um, Hopefully there'll be a big, a big smiley thumbs up from Macca. Let's hope so. Brilliant. And uh, thanks for listening, folks. I'm sorry it's been a bit of a dog's breakfast this episode, but uh, we hope we've managed to extract some interesting stuff for you. See you soon. Thanks. Thank you very much for the NHS. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very, very much. Thank you very much for the NHS. Thank you very, very, very much. 
Thank you very much for our healthcare hero. Thank you very much, thank you very, very, very much. Thank you very much for until the scare go. Thank you very, very, very much. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening